Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we're doing a segment called, What Are You Listening To? You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. But now let's talk about what we've been listening to lately. An update. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. We are, um, today we're, we're talking about uh, what, are we, what we're listening to right now, which is sort of an update and a, uh, um, you know, trading of, of ideas, uh, what to listen to, what we have been listening to, and, and what perhaps you should be uh, listening to, what we're suggesting. But uh, I have to uh, first uh, mention that this is um, a reunion of sorts, uh, Christian and I have uh, gone on a world tour as brother, 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 uh, minus Jeremy, which uh, it didn't feel right, but uh, it was a hell of a good time. And um, I can uh, I can tell you, we, we uh, managed to go, our world tour was a one-stop affair, by the way, uh, in Port Elliot, at Port Elliot Lit Fest in Cornwall, England, uh, where we were asked to, or invited to come speak and uh, conducted some great interviews with some fantastic authors and musicians while we were on the ground. Um, it pissed rain for three straight days. We were knee-deep in mud in 55-degree uh, British July weather, and we had a blast. Uh, Christian, any, any desire to uh, fill in the blanks there? Yeah, I, I was literally cleaning the mud off my uh, off my boots yesterday, um, two weeks after after the event. So um, uh, you were you were not understating it by saying it pissed rain for three days. But you know, our our main event there was uh, we interviewed Jeff Dyer and Richard Mason. Uh, we were talking. I mean, we basically put the question to them. You know. To, to sort of describe their experience writing about music, Jeff Dyer obviously has written But Beautiful, which is an outstanding book about jazz in which he sort of um, effectively improvises uh, sort of these historical anecdotes about different jazz musicians. Um, and, and actually, I think, is, is, you know, in and of itself beautifully written, but, but also um, a really sort of fascinating uh, sort of, you know, music critical or a piece of sort of music criticism in its own right. Um, and then Richard Mason, of course, who's, uh, you know, his books, History of a Pleasure Seeker and, and Who, Ki- Who Killed Pete Barrel, um, are, are actually, you know, really some of the, some of the most important and sort of, you know, compelling, um, character development that takes place in those books is, is really sort of hinged on, on, you know, scenes that are, are built on music. Um, in addition to that, we got some great interviews with, uh, you know, the, the legendary DJ and producer Andrew Weatherall, um, uh, Dave Keenan, who, who wrote a terrific, uh, actually a, a fictional oral history um, of, of a band, uh, which my first, my first thought and reaction to that was, how the hell did I not think of that? <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were, they were fascinating. This and, is and Memorial Device is the name of the bands. book. Yeah. Yes, um, this is Memorial Device. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, and then we we interviewed Ben's, you know, the Orioles, Tin Fruit, um, and John Hassel, uh, the the basis for the Libertines. So we'll have all of that um, all of that out to you in the next uh, next week, I think. So um, we're we're very excited about that and, and looking forward to uh, getting it online once we've once we've polished it up. 
Yeah, and I'm not joking when I say enough to uh, hear some of these as a sneak peek. Although I wasn't able to attend, they are excellent. So excited for the masses to uh, hear you guys' interviews. It was a great job. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud of uh, um, the interview with uh, Jeff and Richard. I I think it's, you know, I mean, we were, um, you know, certainly not, um, you know, we're wildly interested, but um, you know. sort of content-wise, some, somewhat out of our depth, talking about jazz and classical music, and, and those guys are just phenomenal um, uh, conversationalists and, and passionate, passionate uh, fans. So uh, it was, you know, I feel like, um, you know, we learned a lot while we were uh, being entertained, and uh, we got away with one. <laughs> um, anyway, I... Uh, I wanted to kick off our the segment uh, this week, uh, which is what are you what are you listening to? Uh, really, just trying to uh, you know sort of update the calendar and and see what uh, has rained down in the past several months that um, you know that we've been catching up with. Um, I uh, for one will will pull a bit of a cheat by uh, rolling out a reissue, but um, you know, uh, Jeremy, what's the first? Uh, what's the what have you been listening to? Yeah, so you know, thus far, you guys did a, a what are you what are you listening to episode? I think a, a few months back, and and kind of the beginning of twenty seventeen, and and uh, you know we're now now heading to the midpoint, I guess. So you know, one album that that really kind of has blown me away, and, and that I'm excited to talk about actually is uh, the album Capacity by Big Thief, and this is an album that I actually kind of came upon, I'm not going to say partially old school, but uh, partially new media as well. It's an album that, like, you know, I saw obviously being sort of hailed as it when it came out in June, um, but the album cover really struck me as, as very haunting, and uh, the album cover is literally sort of a boy holding a baby and uh, not looking very happy at all, looking very sort of uh, lost and distant. And uh, it's a good portrait of Wyndham. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it actually looks a lot like a couple weeks. the singer too, Adrian Linker. And and uh, and it actually happens to be her being held by her 27 year old uncle. Um, it's a band that I didn't really do a lot of research on. I just kind of listened to the album. And have now kind of gone back and sort of studied studied how this album came about. But you know, just off the bat, I want to say like this record to me is like a, a really just sort of hauntingly good book. It's uh, it's really vivid, really sort of uh, sparse kind of uh, very personal songwriting, and all those things can be you know somewhat boring, even though you know they're really well crafted. And this is not at all a boring album. Um, you know, she is. Uh, it's a four piece from Brooklyn. Just to give a little bit of background, they had an album last year called Masterpiece. Um, with, and both these albums are sort of connected. I, I think a lot of them are about her childhood, and, and she was born into a, a religious cult at a very young age. You know, her parents oh, wow. were very young, had a baby at a very young age, and uh, sort of grew up um, you know, moving around early on and then ended up in Minnesota in the suburbs. And you know, both albums really are about sort of kind of growing up in, in kind of a, you know, I guess, trauma-laden uh, you know, sort of yeah, family abuse, whatever you want to call it. And... and I can tell you that, you know, every once in a while you hit on one of those records or books that actually makes you feel something when you're listening to it, and, and this is one of them. Um, but on top of that, it's, it's really great music, too. So um, the band now is in Brooklyn, and the main players are, are you know, Adrian uh, Lenker and, and then Buck Meeks, who's been with her from the beginning. I think she did some solo stuff prior to Big Thief. And the album just kind of opens up with, you know, um, Pretty Things, which is a beautifully sparse acoustic album that has, 
you know, just kind of plays with the, the concepts of masculinity and femininity. I mean, the, the opening lyric is, that, you know, the chorus is sort of, quote, there's a woman inside of me, there's one inside of you too, and she don't always do pretty things. And that kind of is like sort of the entry point to this album. Goes into Shark Smile, which is actually becoming one of my favorite songs of the year. I mean, that is the opening salvo that tells you this is going to get dark. And yeah, this is going to be, exactly. There's some <laughs> clouds overhead. Yeah. There's yeah. some trash strewn across the yard, and, uh, you know, things are going to get ugly. But um, Shark Smile <laughs> is, is, you know, paints just sort of like a, a really kind of like adolescent innocence over a really driving great guitar beat. And Meeks brings a ton to this album with just kind of these squelching guitar licks, Um I, I, you know, I just can't say enough. I, I'm, I'm absolutely, right now, this is topping my list as best album of the year by far. Um, Mystical Beauty is a song literally about, uh, you know, a childhood trauma incident where, uh, you know, a piece of metal fell out of a tree and hit this woman in the head. I don't mean to laugh about it. It's not funny, but, you know, it's... Uh, and the, and, and, it was on and YouTube. Yeah, and the song, <laughs> you know, continuously references, you know, sort of the fact that this this parent child is raising a child and and um all of these things again sound kind of you know sort of uh you know you could have a very depressing kind of country album or you know even nick cavish to a certain degree right but the reality is is the music is very almost like indie indie pop i mean it can, it can go from kind of sparse but still always carries a tune but it also can get very like lush and, and, and pretty over. Um, I think some of the best songwriting I, I've heard yeah, to me, in it, years. It, it called back a little bit, and you know, I don't, I haven't listened to it enough. But just the the sort of cursory glance, um, her voice, the delivery, kind of reminded me a little bit of, of you know Mazzy Star at the beginning. I don't know if that uh, is an apt uh, an apt comparison. You can tell me better than I could. Tell yeah, you I would it. say you know Angel Olsen, Mazzy Star for sure. Um, I think more the songs are more structured, sort of like an Angel Olsen. Um, definitely, you know, she's got a beautiful voice. So it's a lot um, of down and mid-tempo songs, I would say, but at the same time, there is something that, like, and, and often I would say that that can be um, kind of an obstacle for me to get, get into something. Um, but in this case, uh, you know, I, I have to say that there's, like, an incredible sort of amount of conviction in her voice, which I think really does kind of um, suck you in right away. Well, it's funny, this yeah, doubles down on the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, it's an album, too, that, you know, like I said, I kind of came to not knowing all of the sort of backstory to um, her life, and it's a great album to throw on headphones and listen to because, A, you're going to be, you know, I think both of you enjoy literature and and great writing. The writing is as good as anything, you know, uh, Lucinda Williams or, or, you know any great female writers put out there but then the music really does it is yeah you're right Christian it's a little more mid-tempo but it really does grab you and, and it's got you know great hooks and uh you know like I said I, I've not been able to stop listening to this album since I got my uh, my hooks on it and it's uh it's my choice for my first album I'm gonna talk about
Well, it's funny. I just I just want to tell a, a some a semi amusing side, and then I'll and I'll kick it over to Christian for his. But um, I must have I saw Big Thief uh, now in retrospect, listening to Jeremy's description of it, uh, and probably the worst possible uh, situation. Um, they were opening for Deer Tick on a like a party cruise boat in Boston Harbor. And um, so any sense of, uh, you know, any, any sense of depth was, like was pretty much cast over, yeah. cast <laughs> overboard with the, you know, with the first, uh, you know, roach. And, um, and uh, it, but I did thought that, you know, I mean, there was a point at which the last couple songs kind of rocked and I was like, oh, these guys are good. I uh, never revisited them, but now I, I, I'm very inclined to, but it is funny. I mean, they, opening for a deer tick on a, uh, on a uh, booze cruise, not exactly uh, the best showcase, I think, for this band. No, not at all. <laughs> but I think, uh, give them another shot. I think you guys will both really enjoy this album. I think it's all great. Right. Christian, what's your, uh, what's your, what are you listening to? Yeah, so I'm going to kick this off with um, Sheer Mag's album, Need to Feel Your Love. And this is, uh, I, I think, you know, listeners of the podcast will have heard me talk about Sheer Mag before. I'm a big fan of these guys. Um, actually dragging... Uh, uh, a couple of buddies to to see them um, a few years ago when they were actually opening for Royal Headache, and of course in the process discovered Royal Headache, which was actually a great show in its own right. But um, you know they they put on a, a hell of a live show, and you know it is one of the relatively or, or comparatively sort of rare phenomenons where a band you know basically they released three EPs that weren't available on any sort of streaming service I mean they were on Bandcamp but but not like a, a sort of more convenient streaming service that the people you know typically turn to on their phones um, the music itself is is just you know is is really sort of uh, speedy fun Thin Lizzy style power pop um, and you know sort of 70s uh, 70s arena rock um, stylings uh, you know, it's it's three guitarists, a bassist, and then Tina Halliday, um, the the lead Chief singer, Whaler. is just uh, yeah, just got this incredible, um, incredibly sort of powerful voice. You know, and I think that this is this is one of these just the the riffs in this are um, are just you know fill you with with just this incredible energy and um I, I think it's it's one of the most fun albums i've i've heard in a long time you guys you guys both like uh sheer mag pretty well is that oh right? yeah i like them a lot i look forward to getting to know this one better yeah it's yeah, somebody I mean, you've championed I, a bunch and, and i dig a lot they're great well it's it's terrific that i mean you know as i said this is they're now three they've they've generated a fair amount of buzz um in in the media and you know it, at the same time like this is this is their first this is their full-length debut um which is uh, not something you see that often they're actually they're a bunch of uh suny purchase kids as well which is um you know add them to the long list of of artists who have come out of that particular institution you know kidding, um, that's becoming but, its own brooklyn Purchase. It's well, I think it sort of consistently has been forever, right? Yeah. Like Moby went there. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's they've been churning out musicians forever. So, know, yeah. um, isn't and well, and actors, right? Um, it's a it's a huge arts school, um, or and has great performing arts resources, I guess. So they've also got Mitski in the last couple of years. Um, I'm trying to think who else. The entire uh, cast of The Sopranos. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know what's what's fun about this is you know I, I think it really does harken back to sort of a, a what you met like a dazed and confused era of, of music and I think that at a time when you know uh, there there maybe is uh, I don't want to say 
people apologize for for certain aspects of seventies rock. I mean, I, I I know we certainly don't on this podcast. We're we're frequently celebrating it, but um, you know, I think at the same time, it's it's not necessarily a, a universally regarded truth that um, you know the sort of big grand hook laden seventies um, rock yeah. is yeah exactly is is you know is really the thing to which people are aspiring to and I think w- what's interesting about this band in particular is the fact that they're able to 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 sort of add some some a little bit more heft I think to the to the lyrical content of of a lot of what was uh, going on in seventies rock and you know sort of still provide the same big sound and um, you know sort of energetic and and, and you know um, basically positive or optimistic music um, but at the same time you know add a little bit more uh, heft as I said with with you know themes about you know uh, sort of uh, social alienation and, and oppression and that sort of thing, and um, you know, and then also very you know well well written sort of um, romance songs as well, you know, love songs. So um, I definitely recommend people take a listen to this. I think anybody who, who you know enjoys rocking out to the boys are back in town is going to fucking love this album. So um, all you thin uh, Lizzy fans out there, go yeah, listen exactly. to Meg. name of the album one more time uh need to feel your love need to feel your love cool all right well i am uh uh going with a a newish band called send uh c-e-n-d-e uh name is going to get them in trouble when it comes to uh people doing internet searches um their new album number one hit single uh is just a kind of a you know, I, I, I hate to continue on the same um, kind of uh, um, theme, but they are a, they're fun, power pop. I mean, they are singing about, uh, you know, some, some more uh, alienated themes. But, um, you know, to me, fun, power pop, uh, not too heavy, not too serious. And, um, you know, sort of call to mind a lot of the bands I love, uh, you know, the Raspberries and uh, the New Pornographers and, and all sorts of bands that sort of are very pop-centric, very hook-centric. Um, but again, it's one of those things where they sound, you know, they sort of feel like the boundaries of those bands, but uh, they don't sound like anybody. Um, you know, it's, it's just good rock music. Um, there's, uh, I think their lead single is Bed, or at least the... the uh, um, first album or first song on the album is called Bed, and it's a, it's a really uh, good song about uh, 
um, a breakup that manages to make you smile, uh, which is uh, unusual. But it's got you know some uh, you know some lines about not you know getting into bed and not being able to get back out, getting into you and not being able to get back out. So um, it's uh, and then you know um, a couple other songs. What I want, which is just a pop gem uh, featuring Frankie Cosmos. On uh, vocals as well. Um, you, you Brenna know, Klein from from Frankie Cosmos, right? Yeah, sorry. And then uh, you, I mean, you know more about this band than I do, Christian. You, you're more proximate and and uh, been around. But it's guys from uh, Level Up, and um, you know that's right. It's so it's it's Level Up's. Uh, it's a Greg Rutkin from Level Up and um, Cameron Wish from uh, from Porches. Both the the drummers of both of those groups. Um, and these guys are you know they put out this album. Um, Number one hit single, which uh, which is a pretty awesome name for for a first album, um, particularly since it's not a single, um, nor is it an EP. Uh, but you know they um, they, they put this out on double. <laughs> yeah, but it's out on double double whammy, which is the label that the Level Up guys um, started actually. So um, you know it's it's sort of a minor level Brooklyn super group if you will um, or at least that's that's the term you know it's it's a composite of, of folks who are um, happily playing in other bands well, sort of like uh, a, another another super group populated with drummers Whitney you know it's it's one of those things where it sounds immediately familiar and yet you can't put a finger on exactly what the reference point is. It's um, that's what you know, and that was last year's. I think I, I was one of the things I was highly you know touting last year. It's um, you know it's it, it feels like home. It feels a very it's a very easy album to like, and then it's easy to dig into and, and find a little bit more meaning. Uh, another you know, I mean, and, and I would love to pitch this over to you, Christian, because you. Um, have listened uh, to this album a lot this year, as have I. But, you know, it doesn't fall far from the Simon Doom baby man tree, as far as I'm concerned. What do you think about that? No, I can I can definitely see that. I mean, I think um, these guys have a have a real you know ear and knack for for sort of so, for really good structure like song structure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can they can write a song that moves from A to B to C and you know feels like uh, feels like a sort of logical progression, um, but that really does sort of develop rather than um, you know kicking back to the same uh, to the same sort of verse chorus verse chorus. Yeah, exa- exactly. So I mean, and I think you know in some respects I've, I've always thought that drummers or bands that have have multiple percussionists or past percussionists in them tend to have um tend to have kind of a leg up in that category just because I, I think they have a feel for for you know the the sort of nuts and bolts of song structure in a way that um or i guess any anybody so you heard it here first christian is, is christian is urging you to go out and buy genesis records <laughs> oh shit <laughs> yeah um no no i'm not um but uh but yeah no i i'm i'm i do i do hear that a little bit and um i think they're definitely uh definitely worth a spin now i, I that said i i'm not sure these guys are ever gonna uh sort of you know fully focus on send as their um as their main project you know no, i think a, they've all got fun, good things going fun record yeah exactly it's a great yeah i think i, I missed this one in some of our your guys recommendations and in our ongoing text chain so i'm gonna have to uh, pop it on after this pod sounds good all right well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we will do uh, a round two of what are you listening to
All right, welcome back to Brother, 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 where today we are doing a segment on what are you listening to, our uh, sort of almost quarterly um, installment where we discuss, you know, some of the some of the best highlights of the last few months in, in terms of albums that we really like. Um, Wyndham, I was going to kick it over to you to start the second round. Well, I was going to, uh, to recommend Sandy, parentheses, Alex G's album, Rocket. Uh, Alex G is Alex uh, Janiscoli, uh, and like most of his generation, including Level Up and Power Bottom, he's got something against vowels. So uh, Sandy Alex G's album Rocket, um, it's it's another album where I, I listen to it and I hear a lot of different things every time I listen to it, and it's sort of like I want to pick out the reference because it feels like there's so many uh, times when he when he gets uh, really close to other artists. Um, you know, um, very obviously, Elliot Smith, Sufjan Stevens, um, even Tobias Gesso Jr., who I like uh, a lot. Um, but again, sounds like himself. So it's it's uh, it's one of those tantalizing things where you're kind of listening, enjoying, but you're also playing uh, name that reference, and it doesn't always it's not always a, a A to A fit. But uh, really talented guy. Uh, he came to us. Um, or came to my attention via our friend of the podcast, Will Krause. Um, and I uh, have been listening, digging into the deeper catalog. One of those guys, though, too, that is, is very young, extremely prolific, and seems to be churn out uh, records, um, you know, in the, in the same way other people churn out sentences. Um, you know, he kind of, you, you turn, turn around and he's got another one. Um, I can't tell you which number album this is. Um, I should have done my homework a little bit better. But um, it seems like this is, um, you know, he's moving in a more sort of uh, traditional uh, commercial uh, way. Uh, before it was a lot of, you know, there was some home recordings. and, and um, But all of it sounds like a guy who possesses an enormous amount of talent, who writes a hell of a song, very literate, very smart. Um, some of the highlights on this one are uh, Sports Star. Uh, I think Proud and Bobby were the two. Um, almost every song on this uh, record has a one-word title. Um, Proud and Bobby were both um, two standout tracks uh, that I liked a lot. Um, but it also seems like a guy who's coming to prominence in the same way that Car Seat Headrest or Bright Eyes did after um, a, an enormously prolific young life in which he, you know, sort of uh, defied uh, the the odds and, and put out so much uh, music uh, by the time he was, you know, sort of 23, 22, 23, uh, that it's, you know, it's prodigious in every way. Um, yeah, I, I think just to update what you said earlier, this is his, this is his seventh full-length studio yeah. <laughs> album, um, and that excludes five EPs that he's done uh, and one compilation so um, yeah it's he's a, like 22 years old too so i think you know the guy's clearly he just like he just i think has the capacity to wake up in the morning and and just dump a song out onto a onto a you know um onto a uh, uh any kind of recording device and you know some of some of the tunes i think do have a sort of lo-fi quality there and and i should say you know this was put out on on domino but my understanding is that he's still um you know, he still does a lot of the, the recording himself at, at home, if not all of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've seen him live, haven't you, Christian, too? Yes, in the hottest 
like literally temperature wise the hottest <laughs> show I've seen um, in in years. Uh, it was at the that Park wasn't Church just Alex Co-op. G setting the setting the place oh, on fire. Jesus. No, it was uh, it was. I mean, he was great. Don't get me wrong, but it was uh, it was at the Park Church Co op in Greenpoint not too long ago, and like it must have been hundred and ten degrees in there. So. But it was full, which should tell you something about the fact that, uh, you know, people were willing to suffer through that. So. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, this is a multiple choice question for you. Uh, my clothes were wettest, A, after LCD Sound System, B, after Sandy <laughs> Alex G, C, after Port Elliott Festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, All of the above. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I have never had to throw a shirt out after a show um, until the LCD concert, but uh, but I probably should have after the Alex G show. So, um, so there you go. I think yeah. it's a tie between those two. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, I, my two reference points being um, you know Connor Oberst and uh, um, car seat headrests. Um, you know, Will Toledo, uh, obviously, um, you know, at the all at the hand of the master, Robert Pollard, who also you know just wakes up and, and farts out. Uh, Might have put out his hundred album this year, I believe. <laughs> I think he did put out his 100th release this year, um, which is, you know, between albums, solo albums, uh, whatever, whatever, EPs and everything. I think he has put out 100 um, recordings at this point. So um, Alex G. well on his way, but, uh, you know, just the, the uh, you know, just to talk numbers is, is you know, short change is the fact that this guy writes great songs. I really like where he's going. And uh, I, you know, it, again, much like the um, Gadfly Jeff Dyer, who we interviewed, uh, one of my favorite authors in the world, uh, but somebody who hopscotches subject to subject, um, Alex G might be somebody who does continue to uh, sort of genre and style hop, um, and he may be somebody who finds a lane, I'm not sure. Uh, Jeff Dyer's proof positive that you don't have to find a lane in order to be entertaining in every... Well, and I think Bright Eyes is a good comparison for that reason, because, of course, he has, you know, his sort of really early... Um, second wave, you know, his, his earliest stuff is that sort of second wave of emo, that sort of ultra confessional, um, you know, guy with a, uh, uh, like, uh, like a tape recorder, you know, in his bedroom kind of thing. Um, but, but, you know, as he grew and evolved, he's done country, he's done, um, you know, sort of electronic so music. Some he's done sort of hard rock metal. Well, then he always had like who yeah. were a punk band. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, and Alex G clearly has that, that kind of talent and, and, you know, diverse interest. I mean, hell, he was on the Frank Ocean album earlier this year, which is actually how his, his name sort of, you know, picked up uh, a, a fair amount of um, buzz when he was on that, um, when he was featured on that, uh, his guitar work was. So, you know, I, I think that, like, uh, fascinating guy. I'm, I'm really just, I'm interested in every release that he puts out. Um, I am curious if he, th- this more than his previous stuff, I think, um, felt like something that had, like, it, it, it didn't necessarily have, like, a unified theme as much. It was sort of, it popped around on the record. Like, a song like Brick has nothing to do with a song like Bobby that I can... You know, sonically, at least. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's it's kind of curious, and it's great. Um, but I'm I'm really interested to see whether he sort of uh, pulls it together and sticks to a single theme on an album. Um, that would probably get him more critical acclaim because I think it would be easier to digest um, within a single genre. But at the same time, 
you know what? If he wants to just keep putting out good music, he can do it however the hell he wants. Yeah, I mean, Sofian Stevens is a guy who has a, you know, very definitive sound and, and works in a lot of different genres as well. So, um, you know, we'll see how this works out. said there are there are a couple uh, I'm going to cheat and throw in a couple uh, of an addenda um, that um, I have been listening to one is a single that I'm in love with called uh, Sugar Tastes Like Salt by the Oriels who we interviewed in Port Elliot uh, who also Andrew Weatherall remixed not too long ago but check out that single their records coming out uh, down the road I think in early uh, 2018 and then um, hello good morning spider uh, by Sparkle Horse was reissued, and I took uh, a, a dozen spins back through that. And you know, if you've never listened to that album, um, please do. It's it's so phenomenal, and it's such a heart wrenching story. Um, you know, the references reference points are uh, to a very uh, troubled person who ultimately took his own life. But um, the the story that was immediately preceding this album was that he was opening Sparkle Horse, Mark Linkus opening for. Uh, Radiohead on the OK Computer tour in 1996 um, passed out from uh, overconsumption of drugs and alcohol um, for I think 18 hours with his legs tucked underneath him, lost um, circulation in his legs and and nearly lost both his legs, uh, nearly lost his life. Actually, did was pronounced dead at the time, was revived, came back, and this is the album that he wrote immediately following. Jesus, and it is. Uh, Heartrending, scary, uh, but as great. As cheerful stuff. as that story, it's uh, yeah, it's less cheerful it's than that album. story. No, it's a great <laughs> album. I mean, but it leads off with Pig, which is somewhere in between. If OK Computer and Trent Reznor had a baby, um, yeah, it's Pig by Sparkle. It kind of reminds me of that's yeah, it's it's up there with like the standout like single tracks by an artist that don't necessarily sound like the rest of their work. And I'm thinking specifically of Audio Horror. Um, so, I mean, I, I you know. That to this me is like sorely overlooked album that that uh, I'm psyched is reissued as well. It's yeah, an but I mean it, it settles into kind of a, a folk rock uh, you know pace with some really really dark stuff going on, retelling the story um, and uh, you know of the hospital stay and and um, and then you know jumping into some you know oddly uh, pop, poppy tunes a little bit later and uh you know there's a guy that you know again like a jason molina who was a musician's musician i mean this guy uh played with pj harvey tom waits um 
Radiohead. Uh, I mean, not just opening with them, they collaborated with them. Uh, so there's a lot to learn about Mark Linkus if you dig in, but uh, I didn't want the uh, What Are You Listening To segment to go by without me mentioning that that record had been reissued, and I will stop hogging the microphone and kick it over to, is it you, or, you Christian, or, or Jeremy? Jeremy, you want to go ahead? Sure. Um, yeah, so another uh, female-led band, I'm, I'm going to talk about Waxahachie's Out in the Storm. It's an album that, you know, no shortage of, of critical acclaim right now. I mean, from, you know, just recent interview on The Watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan to, I think, pretty much every uh, every spread and, and every music website we look at um, hailing this from Pitchfork to Stereo Gum. But it's a, it's a fantastically solid effort. It's funny, a couple of weeks ago, I think, on one of our pods, I, I, I mentioned this as what I was listening to and, and wasn't blown away on first listen. It was a, a brief, I think the album just dropped and kind of took it for a spin. Um, I really enjoy um, Katie Crutchfield and think that uh, you know her last two albums were, were excellent. So it was one of those, another thing that's kind of rare in these times, I feel like I was really excited for this album to come out. Sometimes when that happens, uh, expectations can be a little high. But um, in sort of preparation for knowing this episode was coming up, I, I, I went back at it. And, uh, it, you know, I, I think rightfully so, it's being hailed as, as one of her best. It's... it's uh, it's it's a very accessible album. I think most of her stuff is. She's um, written an album basically, um, in a, it's out in the open, uh, based you know kind of lyrically on on a long term relationship that was sort of unhealthy and, and went south south. And uh, you know she has very those make jarring such great albums. <laughs> they just do right. Um, really jarring, you know, kind of lyrics that I, I think are. She's somebody who, I don't know, can like really load a song and be very wordy, but make it very concise and very pop um, oriented at the same time. And and I really admire that about her. I mean, sometimes it reminds me of kind of the Great Breeder songs when they were in their prime. Um, and, you know, I love her voice. She has a little bit of a twang, Alabama twang. Um, and her, you know, sister, who also actually has an album that's making a lot of short lists this year so far, Allison Crushfield's in the band. But this album kind of was birthed out of the touring band from Ivy Trip, which is, is a really tight band. And they went in the studio, kind of banged this out. John Angelo uh, produced it, and he's done, I think, Sonic Youth and some other big indie acts. Um, you know, kicks off with, with um, some great great uh pop hooks and then i think kind of goes into some directions she hasn't gone in like songs like um god i'm totally eight ball you know which is the second song in the album or um uh god i'm like sorry my mouth is full of marbles right now anyways songs in, in different styles that i think she you know hasn't necessarily you know taken on so they can do really rocking kind of straightforward pop into just sort of her and a keyboard or her and acoustic guitar um, all the way through, this album's excellent and, and really kind of nails it. Um, I don't know if you guys have given it much much time yet. Um, I'm sure you've heard a lot about it because it really is being buzzed. About, I, started, but, um, I started to listen to it. I like it a lot, and it, it's kind of funny because I, I feel like there's, um, you know, a little. I think a little bit of your hesitation um, uh, is, you know, might have been the same thing that, you know, happened not, uh, not, sim- not entirely similarly, but, like, when... Um, you know, a certain band gets like this. This feels like uh, an attempt to go big, and that's not a bad thing. It just it, the production is much more forward. John and Yellow is a big producer. I mean, like in terms of makes big records, and um, I think like uh, it's you know it's it's a step away from that more intimate stuff that she's done over the course of time. It's you know yeah, uh, definitely. 
but I it, think I, too I, it though suits her. it suits her songs because her songs are so good. Once you listen, and, I, and I, that's exactly was my sort of first take, and then the subject matter being sort of so straightforward. Um, she's a very good songwriter, excellent songwriter. So it's not you know on the nose or. or you know, annoying by any means. It's, it's, it's you know, well done. Um, that kind of threw me off at first because every song literally is about this sort of breakup. Um, but then you kind of listen again to songs like Hear You or Sparks Fly, and I realized more than anything, it's really just a confident album. This is an album that, that sounds big and is big because she's, you know, put it together and, and, and that confident she knows how good in, her, she is. Yeah. in what she's doing. Yeah. So, you know, if you guys haven't, you know, or if you listen to it and had kind of the first initial reaction like I did, um, I would definitely recommend going back to it. it and, like- uh, actually, all of their stuff so far has been great, in my opinion. I agree. What uh, well, sounds like between Big Thief and Waxahachie, uh, someone's having feelings. Uh, um, yeah, I have them. <laughs> I'm not sure what they are yet. I'm Somebody's crying to themselves to sleep at night. Hey. So Christian, what's your what's your uh, second? What are you listening to? Well, so um, with with the second choice here, I want to pick uh, "Big Fish Theory" by Vince Staples. And as as you guys know, I've been a huge fan of this guy since um, summertime '06. Uh, not actually since the summertime of 2006, when he was um, in fifth grade or something, or sixth grade, I guess. But but since that album came out in 2015, um, I you know. I, I, I should set this up, I think, by just by just sort of referring back to that first album and, and the fact that, you know, I thought at an incredibly young age, he had a sort of, um, you know, detached, wiser than his years would suggest. Um, uh, like a world of, weariness. Know, yeah. Yeah, world weariness. Um, and, you know, a really a, a sort of dark reference points to trying to sort of basically trying to survive um, during the summer after his, his sixth grade year when, um, you know, which is basically when gang recruitment takes place. And in that sense, it is sort of, I, I guess I think you can say that it's sort of loosely organized around that that central theme. Um, and it, it was certainly very autobiographical. Um, in that respect, I think, you know, I, I, he reminded me a lot of Prodigy um, in, in terms of that just uh, a sort of emotionless um, stylistic delivery. Um, and also rap, that, but that reaction where you go, this guy's how old, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, clearly, you know, clearly, um, uh, yeah, smarter than any 18 or 19-year-old 
needs to be and a hell of a lot um, more experienced than, than, you know, you would hope any 18-year-old or 19-year-old would have to be. Um, but I think uh, with this album, what's interesting is, is, you know, I don't think he steps away thematically that far. Um, you know, there's still a... Uh, he's still basically battling with these ideas of, you know, the meaning of success within the context of, of rap music, within the context of just, you know, again, staying alive in, in Long Beach um, and, and actually escaping, you know, the orbit of, of that world. Um, now that he's experienced some of that success, you know, he's, he's grappling with, with a slightly different set of issues, whether it's publicity, fame, but, you know, he's, he's doing it sort of from a really, I think, pretty profound and, and, you know, I would say philosophical perspective. Um, I, I actually think that he's, uh, well, I should say musically, you know, the, the big difference here is that he sort of pivoted more toward, um, you know, exploring, a, like, electronic dance music um, in, in this album, which is pretty cool. I mean, he, he dives into Detroit techno and, and you know, some house music um, and, uh, you know, borrows uh, from... from producers who are affiliated with the PC Music um, record label or, or uh, the sort of art collective that's based in London, um, you know, they're a sort of pop electronic dance music group, um, but really sort of stripped down, you know, bare bones and, and sort of minimalistic versions of that. Um, I Look, I, I think that musically it's very creative. I think it's interesting that he would make his second effort, you know, he would take his second effort to the to the dance floor, um, but I think he's again, you know, still grappling with with the sort of weighty themes of, of that he did on the first album. And you know, it's interesting. I, I wonder. I'll I'll, tur- I'll open this question to you guys. I mean, I think part of the reason that that he hasn't um, that he hasn't maybe achieved this sort of level of of fame and success um, is because he is, you know, obviously from L.A. or greater L.A. or whatever. Um, I guess Long Beach is in L.A. Uh, but, you know, he's basically sort of had to follow Kendrick um, every step of the way, and that guy's a, a, a pretty incredible, um, you know, powerhouse in his own right. That said, it's rare that you have two debut albums or a debut album and then a sophomore album that, that I think are so distinct stylistically and equally good um, that this makes me think, you know, the last time somebody really did something like that, I look back and think uh, maybe it, it was Kendrick or yeah. it was Kanye or somebody like that, you know, um, that it's really, I mean, that's a that's a difficult thing to achieve and it definitely shows a, a budding artist. So yeah, what do you guys that, think that's it. I don't, I don't think that guy's flying under the radar by any means, but I do think, you know, there is a bit of uh, LeBron Kyrie to the Kendrick, uh, Vince Staples uh, thing. And I think that... Um, you know, Vince Staples is his own guy and, and certainly merits his own, you know, he, but he's got his own lane. I mean, it's, it's, he's not, he's not, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, standing in the shadow of, of too many people. No, no, no. But, but I think, you know, part of, part of what I wanted to get into, I guess, is the fact that, you know, Kendrick sort of says the right things politically and says, you know, he, he appeals to a certain kind of, like, social consciousness or, con- you know, um, or social conscience that I think... Uh, people find simple and easy to understand and digest. And it's like that guy's, you know, saying the right things at the right times. Vince Staples is fucking with the media constantly. And like, you know, he has an incredibly acute sense of irony. Um, and I, I don't know that that necessarily, like, I think it's really funny and interesting to see him take people to task the way he does. But like, he is almost too smart for his own good sometimes from a 
publicity perspective? I don't know. What? Well, I think he's more challenging in general, yeah, and I think that's that's the main thing. I, I think this music, and on especially on this album, and I agree with you, Christian, like sonically, it's, it's a really interesting album and, and, and you know, kind of cool in the sense that, like, it, it brings in different genres. But I think that's, you know, some folks just kind of, or some, some folks... Um, some people really are good at, at, at you know, kind of nailing all the marks, and Kendrick has been that guy. And I think Vince Staples is more of a challenging figure in general. And, and you know, that's going to, whether it's, you know, obviously somewhat on purpose, but, you know, whether that affects his career negatively or not, um, I do think that, you know, he's, he's just a more complicated. Not that Kendrick isn't. I don't know what I guess I'm trying to say here. But, you know, I think sonically sometimes he's more challenging too, the music. Yeah, I mean, uh, you throw in the third, you know, sort of bright, bright young thing in that in that triumvirate uh, not from Los Angeles but from Chicago and that's Chance and that guy does everything right you know yeah so you know maybe it is maybe there is a I don't think you know I don't think uh, Vince Stables is playing the heel I think he's playing himself but it, I think he's uh, um, but there's a difference between the the almost you know Kendrick I think in a lot of his music represents again like I said a sort of social conscience um, about the world that he's describing Chance reflects a sort of more compassionate take on it and Vince is fucking bleak yeah. and I think that that's part of I mean that's that's something you know that is a that's an important distinction and I'm not sure that everybody always wants bleak so that, that, no, I, mean, I think that you're was, right that was really <laughs> I think most I people think, don't I, I don't think this is going to be one of those um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm going to oversimplify, but, you know, not meaning to, but I don't think it's going to be one of those either-or scenarios. No. I think, no, no, no. I think I, there's I, a lot of people who are fans, going to be huge fans of both, so. No, I think it's, well, it's three guys, three guys under 30 who are, you know, dominant in the rap world right now um, who don't necessarily have, uh, you know, the same relationship with big labels the way that, you know, um, rappers sort of had to in the in the, the 1990s and 2000s i mean these guys are yeah are really changing the changing the face um, of the industry the, yeah the music landscape so it's awesome yeah that's cool you guys want to take a quick break and come back sounds good yep all right cool you can get anything you want you know what i'm saying you want that over there you want that over there got you No sleeping, late nights, no eating, gun squeezing. I'm a real artesian, Ramona. I was round that counter, still down. I'm a North North soldier. G slide, right down Sawyer. When we slide, you won't see morning. Another story of a young black man trying to make it up out that gym. Goddamn, back, back, let me make my bands. Got plans. If you hating, don't shake my hand. Take it easy, homie. Reminiscing, sitting in that bins of the 22 bus stop way back when with the 22 Shout eyes on skin for the click, clack, clap, for the boot, bop, bam, cuz.
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are uh, doing our uh, sort of quarterly What Are You Listening To segment and uh, our full episode of What Are You Listening To. And um, one of the things that uh, you, you guys were talking about uh, earlier, and I have to uh, um, claim a, a, a level of ignorance that I wish I didn't have on this, but um, as uh, the, lo- the most recent Arcade Fire release and the sort of dust it's kicked up and, and the controversy, surprisingly, um, that it seems to be... Uh, ushering in it, there is. Uh, I, here's my question that I haven't heard asked yet, which is: Is Arcade Fire becoming uh, Coldplay for the for uh, for the haters? Wow. Um, <laughs> so there you go. I'll throw that out, and you guys can can wrestle. So harsh. Well, I was just going to quickly touch on a couple things, and, and and you know, I actually had not been following some of these stories as well, and, and kind of, the album dropped, obviously I'd heard the singles, um, they released a number of singles, I hadn't necessarily been tuned into the, the whole sort of social media campaign, and I don't know if, if you were Christian, but, um, you know, I, I sort of declared right away that I, I, I like the album, I, I don't love it, it's not their best, but I, I like it, and uh it's got enough good songs on it that, that I dig, and, and I've always had sort of a, a bit of a, an affinity towards this band, A, because Funeral is an amazing album. I saw them live very early on, and, and they blew, you know, the, the ceiling off the place. And I just don't think they've, they've really, like, shit the bed ever. I mean, I think they, they have some terrible songs on this album, don't get me wrong. Um, but all in all, uh, you know, I, I like everything now. I think it's a, a cool kind of ABBA-sounding, like, Arcade Fire version. Um, Creature Comfort, I think, is a great song. But there's some stinkers, too. I happened to listen to um, Popcast, the, the New York Times pod, um, John Carmonica, uh, Carmonica, yeah. And he had Chris uh, Duvall You're like an on. English person. You just insist on pronouncing names incorrectly. <laughs> I do. I really do. Especially, you know, it's funny as Italian last names. I'm horrible <laughs> with having one. Which is great because um, you have one. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the senior editor for Stereogum, Chris uh, Devell, and, you know, learned about this sort of kind of wonky rollout that, that happened where, you know, Stereo Gum and Arcade Fire really sort of went at each other, and, and Stereo Gum putting out an article literally that was titled, um, you know, do you remember when Arcade Fire was good? And uh, Arcade Fire taking some of the positive lines from that, um, you know, sort of editing the article and posting ads on Stereo Gum with, you know, clips from the, the article that, you know, just sort of cutting it up, and, and, and which I thought was actually pretty funny. Um, but then it's taken it even further by doing a stereo yum mock website, you know, all these fake Twitter accounts. And so, you know, it's, it's a band that I guess I personally have kind of ignored this sort of obnoxious kind of U2 uh, circa Joshua Tree under the red blood sky, you know, in your face-ness and kind of taken on, on a, you know, purely sort of musical thing. And, and I tend to give anyone who's done something great, in my opinion, a little bit of a break. So I was just interested on, on you guys, if you've been following this. I know, Christian, you weren't too fond of the album, listening to it um, yeah. early on. Didn't do it for me. I mean, I think they've, like, okay, so the, the big, the arc of their career has been, like, this discussion about whether, you know, when they got started, they made, like, the ultimate white people music in the sense that it had very little, like, swing or rhythm. Um, and, you know, it was, like, uh, just pounding repetitive, like, you know, sort of drum yeah, it's music. Um, right. And, you know, so I think they sort of bucked that trend when they put out Reflector, which obviously, you know, had a, had a real sort of danceability to it. I really like that album. Um, I, I know that too. wasn't super popular uh, uh, for a lot of people. I, this one, it just, 
the bad songs on on the the new album really suck. And I'm, yeah, I'm kind of confused. I'm looking what, at like, you, Chemistry. <laughs> it's one of the worst yeah, songs I've I, ever but heard. I'm really confused by, like, I just didn't think they had it in them in a lot of respects. I mean, the fact that, you know, the title track, is it the title track that sounds so much like an ABBA song? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's, like, cool. I, I can listen to Arcade Fire do ABBA. That doesn't bug me. Um, I, I guess the, the question is, well, is all of this, like, is all of this, like, a deliberate, like, super self-aware... Um, you know, shift to like pander to critics, or I, is it? Like I have a actually, theory. Are they following their their you know their sort of artistic souls and vision or whatever? And I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. It's like I just I don't I'm not quite sure I trust the motive. I have a theory here, and it is, uh, and I will not be the first one to espouse this lane. You know, this sort of a vein of of a, of a theory, but I, I have I think I have a different take on it, which is that. Um, you know, when you two got super serious and overwrought, um, you know, after Rattle and Hum, they took four years to put out their next album. They put out Octung Baby. And Octung Baby is a great fucking album that completely changed direction for them. And they basically came, you know, they basically had the wherewithal to say, like, okay, we got too serious and overheated. And now we're going to pretend, now we're going to do what. We're not going to be rock stars. We're going to become caricatures of rock stars, caricatures of caricatures of rock stars, essentially. I mean, you know, they sort of came up with It worked this. really well for them. It was perfect. It was exactly the right note to but, hit at exactly but, the right but, time. And hold on one sec. Um, I think Arcade Fire, you know, took, tried to rip that page out of the playbook and didn't quite do it correctly. Um, I think they still... Um, care too much about what people say about them. And I think the other problem with Arcade Fire is that Bono is genuinely, I mean, as much as he's Bono and he's a huge rock star and everything, is genuinely a pretty funny person. And I don't think there's ever, I, there's a reason you don't hear about uh, French Canadian or Mormon comedians. Um, <laughs> oh, no way? Of a lot of them, they're, they're just not that funny. And I think there's a little bit of oversensitivity <laughs> on the part of this band when it comes to shots fired. Yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, that that's an interesting point. I, so, okay, I actually thought that that theory was going to conclude with your um, uh, assessment that this was the last, like the last album in a series of changes where they're pandering to critics and fans and stuff, and the next album is going to be the big pivot, um, and that would be cool. Because it does seem yeah. like the the awareness of like criticism has been you know more acute on Reflector and then way more acute on this. But my question is like, who the hell was saying make an ABBA album? Well, I think I mean I, uh, by the way, this is you know I'm hearing everyone talk about this being an ABBA album. I thought uh, Sprawl Number Two on the Suburbs was an, was their first yeah no attempt absolutely at an ABBA song. That's a total ABBA song. And I, I think the more you listen to this album, it, that's certainly that opening track is. But you know, songs like Creature Comfort and, and there's other songs on. The, there's some great actually ballad songs and, and towards the end or slower songs that are I think are really good. Yeah. And I think it actually starts off pretty well. The middle is horrible, and I think that's the thing that caught me off guard. And, yeah. and I think to your point, Christian is like I've never really thought they were horrible, even when I didn't love a song by Arcade Fire. Those songs are, are really bad. And then it kind of gets good again and, and, you know, not, you know, it's not great, but I also do think it's kind of funny that, and I think they bring this upon themselves a little bit. Um, 
you know, A, I think we put a lot of pressure on a band that's supposed to be great, and, and there's not really that U2 in our, our lifetime right now, um, you know, that that band or, you know, and, and I hate to go back to U2, but I think they're the easiest band to kind of describe these guys as. Um, so there's a lot of sort of indie pressure and critical pressure on a band. So when they do put out something that's decent or okay or, or you know, I don't think the whole album's a stinker by any means, um, it's a little more harshly looked at. The other thing, though, as I agree with you, Win too, is that these guys are way too fucking self-aware. And, uh, and that really hurts their reaction. I think and so their, I mean, you know, look, I mean, Arcade Fire for years have been wearing, like, full uniforms and stage show. I mean, this is a big, big act, you know, like yeah. these guys. But I think they care about indie cred almost too much. If I were them, I'd say, fuck it. You know, we're, we're doing what we're doing, you know? Well, they care, about indie, they care about indie cred, but they won a fucking Grammy. All of their albums debut at number one, and they're signed to Columbia. So stop it. Yeah, yeah, Stop exactly. Caring what yeah. the kids at school talk or say. I also do, but I might I go back to my original question, and this may not be answerable right now. But do you think there become? Do you think because I mean I don't know if any of you have a uh, long term memory, but no, but Coldplay was cool when they came out. They were, you know, I mean, they weren't. I don't. I I do have that memory. <laughs> I yeah. would say Coldplay was never cool like Arcade Fire was cool. No, yeah. um, I absolutely not. But they weren't. They were well. You know, they the kids liked them. Had they not gotten big, they would be. They would be. Uh, well, they well also regarded. really suck now, and I and I'm that's coming from somebody who likes some of that early stuff. Actually, I think it's pretty good. But I also, and, uh, but I also think that the, what they are now is 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 closer to what they started out as than what Arcade Fire is now. I agree. Compared to yeah. what they started out as, I think that the the shift has been bigger for Arcade Fire. Which is and I also think you know, and if you listen were to a hair that, away from sucking from the get go. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And if you listen to the Stereo Gum guy, I think there are people that think that you know funeral and the Neon Bible and Suburbs are what that band should sound like. And, I, you know, I disagree with that. I think it's kind of cool that they flip it up and, and try different things, even if those things fail. I mean, you look at bands like The Clash and other other big bands, that, that, and U2 and, and, you know, Talking Heads, who constantly tried out different things, and sometimes successful, sometimes really not at all. But anyways, I'm glad we, uh, we got that out there. I just It's been an interesting story that continues to kind of permeate the music press in, uh, all right. this year. And let's, let's take a quick break. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and come back and end how we always end. Just make it famous Just make it famous 
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Um, as was the case in uh, our world tour of uh, one location, uh, we are back, but it is just Christian and I um, finishing up this particular episode with, uh, what are you listening to? So what are you listening Jeremy to? Jeremy has left because he's trying to sabotage our podcast. Exactly. Uh, we can say whatever we want about him right now because he's not on. Uh, to quote he's, Chuck he's, D, he's not with us. every brother ain't a brother. Um, so uh, <laughs> Christian, what are you listening to these days? Uh, so yeah, I mean, we've obviously just wrapped up the musical segment, the the sort of quarterly piece that we do on that. Um, but yeah, this is sort of the the segment we do at the end of every episode, um, where you know we can obviously talk about books and TV, which is which is helpful here. So I just watched um, Ozark with uh, Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Um, I, I would really sort of strongly, I, I would recommend it. It's on Netflix. It's um, I. I enjoyed it. I was a little bit skeptical when I, when I first saw, oh, this is a, a middle-aged guy in an immorality play um, that has uh, a, a sort of drug cartel at its at its you know central uh, plot. Um, but it takes a few twists and turns that I really didn't expect. And frankly, I, I love Jason Bateman and, and Laura Linney, and you know I think they both put together really great performances here. He's also, by the way, an excellent director. He directed the first two and the last two episodes of this, mm-hmm. and I was very impressed by um, by by those episodes in particular. And the the sort of he's a he's a smart guy behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Well, I'm I'm actually definitely going to check it out when I get a uh, home again and a uh, TV and uh, Wi-Fi and all the things excuses, that excuses. modern America provides us um, by law. Um, I am, well, you may want to, you may be wondering, what have I been listening to? Um, oh yeah, what have you been listening to? It's funny you should ask. Um, I am, uh, really, really enjoying, and I mean, I know this is going to sound silly to you because, uh, of my love for X, but, uh, I'm really enjoying Under the Big Black Sun, uh, the book by John Doe, and... You don't uh, say. Um... I really, uh, honest to God, uh, come into this with no expectation. Uh, it's by John Doe and uh, Tom DeSavia. And he, does, he, is he, does he write it or is it like, is no, he edited it's it? it's a personal history of L.A. punk, which is different than having an oral history or a history of L.A. punk. What it is is a series of essays by people who were there. So That's Mike, what I thought. Mike Watt, Henry Rollins, um, Chris Morris, uh, um, Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's, uh, Charlotte, McCa- Charlotte Caffrey from the Go-Go's, or Charlotte Caffey. Um, uh, so what does John Doe John actually, Doe uh, wrote other several, than choosing... No, but he wrote several of the pieces. Okay. Exene Cervenka writes uh, one or two. Um, really interesting, because I think, uh, you know, you guys have just re- read Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is a very, you know, sort of obviously <laughs> something that uh, where the wounds haven't healed yet. Um, this is something where you've got another 25 years of reflection. Um, and I really want you to read it particularly. I mean, I think Jerry will really enjoy it, but I really want you to read it particularly. Because <laughs> you, you enjoy inflicting X-related uh, no. like media on it, me? No, because I think it really explains a, a central question that you've always had, which is, why are these guys considered punk? You know, or why, not, not X necessarily, but X, the Minutemen, um... No, I, I get, I, okay, yeah, fair but enough. But there is a reason, there, and this is a very, uh, I think, very explicitly laid out in this. Mike Watt has a great piece in it, um, sans any uh, punctuation or capital letters, 
Um, but it basically talking, Jesus. Uh, talking about how, and John Doe sort of the same thing, how punk... Is he the fucking E. Cummings of L.A. Punk? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. The Mike W.A.T.T. Cummings. Um, it, it's, uh, it's really about how back in the 70s when all these people came together in L.A., there's a bunch of different styles. There was a bunch of different group, you know, uh, a bunch of different, you know, there was, you know, there was a bunch of Latino punk bands. There was a bunch of, I mean, Los Lobos was part of this uh, crowd originally. Um, And it's really about how it wasn't even an attitude or a thing. It was about changing what had come before rather than uh, imitating what had come before. I mean, uh, and that's, that was what was crucial in the first few years. That said, there became a, a, a sort of, you know, this, these sort of self-appointed arbiters of the, of the style of music. And even by the early 80s, there, you know, people were like, that's not punk, or this isn't punk, or that's not punk. But the fact is, the whole uh, scene, the whole punk scene sort of really coalesced around bands like X and the Weirdos and the Screamers and the Eyes and a bunch of bands that, you know, you may not, you may or may not have ever heard of, um, but what it was was more of, you know, this sort of group of outsiders that that made music and they made different kinds of music, um, and then by the time the sort of uh, suburban people had gotten involved, the sort of beach crowd, uh, i.e., and even back Black Flag was part of the original uh, punks, but you know they were doing the hard stuff. And the, you know, these uh, suburban, and it was mostly guys, and, and at the beginning of punk, it was a very sort of um, equal ba- equally balanced male-female dynamic, uh, and, and by, by the time it became this sort of, you know, punk show became synonymous like, with aggression and violence, and, you know... The, you mean, like, suicidal tendencies or the adolescents, like, those kinds of yeah. guys? I mean, they're from, like, Venice, I think, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they were from, like, you know... Redondo Beach or whatever, like, uh, you know, Black Flag was from Redondo Beach. Um, but even as, but, but it was more the, it wasn't so much the people who were in it, it, involved in it, as it was the people it attracted. And within a few years, it had become, it had become synonymous with sort of... Uh, it had been appropriated by a different group of people, Exactly, basically. yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that, it's a, to me, that's a really interesting thing. Uh, to read about because I've tried to articulate it and not well and certainly not as well as the people who are involved in it. Um, but, you know, I mean, Penelope Spheris's uh, Decline of Western Civilization, uh, obviously a real centerpiece of this because almost everybody who's uh, involved in writing here was in it or part of it somehow. Um, also, uh, I recommend the uh, Sound Opinions so guys' interview with so Penelope Spheris. It's really interesting. So this yeah. is like a good companion reader for the Decline of Western Civilization, Volume 1. Yeah, it's a good way to explain what was really happening or what the real sensibility was and not, you know, without sort of, uh, without focusing on the sort of nihilism and, and I mean, there was, you know, Darby Crash figures largely in this thing, but more as like, oh, Jesus, that poor guy. You know, it's like, it's a very, um, uh, sort of empathetic look back as opposed to Meet Me in the Bathroom, which is very current, I think, and interesting um, because, like I said, the wounds are still kind of open as has been, um, you know, sort of evidenced by the great uh, Ryan Adams strokes towel fight that's taken place on Twitter over the past 
a couple days. Um, you know, this is much, I think this is really interesting to, to see people who have a ton of perspective now look back on something that they created and say, hmm, yeah, parts of this were great and parts of it weren't. All right. Well, Jeremy, what are you listening to? Blah, blah, blah. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. So uh, should we go on to add a song? Uh, add a song. Yeah, to let's the add a song. Playlist? Yeah, please. Well, let's start with let's start with his. He he left one for us to yeah. add on there. He wanted to uh, you know to uh, drive home his support for the Arcade Fire and uh, put on Un Anne Sans Lumière um, from the first record from Funeral. Um, what what would you like to put on the uh, one hundred trillion? Uh, 10 best songs of all time Hmm I am thinking uh, I'm thinking we might throw some Donovan on there um, Yeah And I'm thinking we go with Baraba Juggle Because I can't get the songs out of my damn head It's on a commercial right now and it's, oh, really? I just hum it to myself constantly I, yeah. thought was, I had my fingers crossed for Season of the Witch But that may have to go Oh on let's the... do Season of the Witch then Really? You sure? Yeah, I'm happy to go with that. Sure. Okay, cool. I mean, I didn't mean to didn't mean I, to I mean, like, it's, sway the ballot. No, 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 not at all. It was literally between those two. So, um, I guess Sunshine Superman as well. But oh yeah, let's go Season of the Witch. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, um, not go punk, uh, so to speak, but uh, something that was referenced during Jeremy's segment, and I'm going to throw on the Breeders' Cannonball. Nice choice. Thank Love you. that song. I do too. It belongs on every mix of ever forever so um anyway thanks for uh definitely a definitely a big source of inspiration for esme um in uh in the orioles as yeah. we as we discussed last week so we'll be psyched to yep we'll be psyched to to roll out those interviews and um and our big uh port elliott performance next week yeah and i'll catch up with you later I look for the video all right thanks guys I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.